Hi, welcome to Birth and Stuff. Today, I'm so excited because I have a very special guest on the show. This person, I, well, normally when I get with her, I know I'm going to be cracking up and laughing and it's just going to be a good time. Today's topic is a little more serious than we're used to talking about, though. So who knows? We might still crack up, but there might be tears. There might be, you know, awes. We'll see. Um, So my guest today, I actually met her when I was in college. And the moment I saw her, I knew we were going to mesh. And she had these big sunglasses on. And I was at the um, Oprah's Fall Festival for UC Santa Cruz, I think it was. Well, I know it was UC Santa Cruz, right? That's where we went to school. (laughs) But it was the fall festival. You came around and you were checking out the Greek life. And the moment I saw you, I was like, this girl needs to be in our sorority because I want her to be my little sister. And then we talked, you came to an event. And uh, at one of the events, I remember I saw your back and you had a tattoo on your back and it said, call it karma. (laughs) (laughs) right and I was like yes I was like this girl this girl's my girl right here and that's when I knew I was like she's gonna be my little sis so please welcome to the show my little sis Cindy thanks for having me (laughs) thank you so much for agreeing to talk to me so as life goes um you know we've kept in touch we graduated what 10 years ago like almost 10 years ago Um, We've, you know, kept in touch through social media and, you know, visiting from time to time after graduating, you stayed up north, I came back home. Um, But I feel like especially this year, we got like we kind of all reconnected again, because, you know, we set up these tri-chi meetings, uh, the virtual hangouts, because we were all kind of feeling like we just needed to talk to people. And it was really helpful to start that mom group that we started a while back with our sorority and, you know, have that chat in the discord and, you know, we go to each other and ask questions. So it's just been so nice to kind of like rekindle our, our bond, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) So um, tell me a little about yourself now, like, where are you at? What are you doing? You know, what's your life like? And then we'll get into uh, your backstory a little more. Great. Well, like I said, thanks for having me um, on the podcast. I'm super excited uh, to be a guest and to chat with you about this kind of stuff. Uh, A little bit about me. Um, I am currently a mom. I am a mom to a 15-month-year-old. I'm currently a stay-at-home parent uh, with her at home, but before that, I used to work in the tech industry as a program manager. Um, I used to live in the San Francisco Bay Area and just recently, about a year and a half ago, a little more than two years ago, I guess, now moved up to the Portland area. So I'm now living up in Oregon, just uh, chilling in Oregon. Literally, it's quite cold out. (laughs) (laughs) So different than what you're used to down here, huh? Very different from Southern California, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) Um, So you and Matthew met what was it 2010 2011 11 and then how soon after you met and started dating did you discuss wanting children or like getting that future planning in oh man okay um I think pretty early on in our relationship we talked about fairly serious topics um things that meant a lot to us where we kind of saw our future and all that I was a senior in college I was going into my senior year so 
you know, what's happening in the future was very much on my mind um, at the time. So we had a lot of conversations around what our future plans, you know, were like, what we hoped for, what we wanted to do with our lives, where we saw ourselves in 10 years, all that kind of stuff. And I would say we both kind of agreed. We both saw ourselves as people who would have a child or children um, in the future. So that was just something that we connected on right away, I guess. It was never really much of a an argument or anything there around whether or not we would have kids. Um, we both wanted them. So it was pretty cool. And then we, um, we moved in together after a year of dating. So I'd say we got pretty serious pretty quickly as far as that goes. And then, yeah, we got married in 2016. So we've been together about five years when we got married and then we made the decision to move to Portland. So things seem to happen in succession, like quick succession, one after the other. Good. So when you decided to, or I guess the question is, when did you decide to start trying, right? Like when did you both say, okay, this time for real, or, you know, were you on birth control? Like how did that plan out? Yeah. So um, we started talking shortly after we got married about having children. I was on birth control. I was on, had an IUD and I had had one for quite a few years. So um, I have PCOS. So I've been on birth control since I was 18, since Mm -hmm. I was old enough to sign my own papers for it. (laughs) Basically I was on it. Um, And then I had switched over to an IUD uh, after college. And so I'd already had birth control for quite some time. And so we were talking about it a little bit after we got married, whether or not, you know, when we wanted to try, when would be a good time. Obviously, the cost of living is extremely high in the Bay Area and all throughout California. So we had a lot of discussions around would it be feasible for us to have a child? What could we afford it? What would a work situation look like for us if we did? So we were having all those conversations. And that's really when we said, okay, we're going to start the early phases of trying to conceive, trying to have a baby, um, and also look into potentially moving into a single family home because we were living in a condominium at the time. So we said, well, let's kind of have that conversation and I'll, I'll have a chat with my gynecologist and see, you know, what, what the verdict is there because of my PCOS. And so, um, that would have been in, I want to say 2017. That makes sense. Yeah. Because, um, it was in 2017 that all of that kind of happened. And um, I discussed with my gynecologist what my steps would be if I wanted to have a child. Of course, obviously take out my IUD. <laughs> um, that's step one right. of the process. And then go from there around um, how to determine whether or not I would need more serious intervention in order to get pregnant um, because of my PCOS or not. And so it was kind of a long process from there because I, I started talking to my gynecologist around July of 2017, but I didn't actually have my IUD taken out until January of 2018. So it took six months really? of discussion before I even had my IUD taken out. I was like, cool, waited six months now, who knows? And then it took, um, they gave me, if, if you've heard of it, they gave me Provera, which is uh-huh. a medication that triggers your cycle. So they gave me Provera and they said, take this if your period doesn't start and then we'll see if it helps trigger your cycle. So I was taking Provera. They put me on metformin, which is, it's technically a diabetes medication, but they put a lot of women who have PCOS on it and it can help regulate symptoms and it can help um, just kind of get your body, I don't know, regulated, I guess. So Mm -hmm. I was taking Provera, 
metformin, my blood pressure meds. It took another six months for my cycle to come back and become regular enough that I could think about conceiving then. So after that six months of my cycle finally coming back, I also went on a pretty strict low carb diet. Um, and part of the reason for that low carb diet was because my gynecologist had said, okay, if you take all these medications and they don't work, then the next step is infertility treatment, but your BMI is too high to be approved for a lot of treatments. So if you're thinking down the line, you may need infertility treatment. A lot of the providers may not approve it if your BMI is over certain levels. So as a preemptive to that, I also kind of went on a, a low carb diet to try and bring my BMI down to kind of fall within a, a range that I thought they would be comfortable with. So a lot of doctors will say lose 30 pounds and then we'll talk about it or lose 40 and then we'll talk about it kind of mm-hmm. thing. So, so in conjunction with all these medications, I went on a low carb diet, also lost about 35 pounds in that time yeah. um, that that was going on. And then my cycle began to like regulate. And so for me, that was really exciting for my period to come back mm-hmm. and then for it to be somewhat normal in a, it was about a, a 35 day cycle that it was coming back at and um, no Prevera needed, it just started coming. Good. So that was like, oh, sweet. And um, from there, it was like, now what do I do? And it was mostly like, well, now you do it. And uh, <laughs> now you get to work. <laughs> yeah. So I was like, all right, cool. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I concentrated the doing it part to when I was ovulating mostly. Um, so if, if, if I, I used Amazon P dip tests, so I bought like a pack of like 100 ovulation strips. Oh my God. So they come in like, tiny little they're not like you would see at the store where you get like the big pea stick and you pee on it and you wait 10 minutes or whatever it's not like that it's like these tiny little strips of paper the little ones yeah exactly I bought a big pack of those and I I very meticulously for three months straight dipped one every single morning at the same time every single day to track my ovulation to pinpoint exactly when I was ovulating so I did that. I'm ordering those tomorrow. Yeah. So, <laughs> I'm putting them in my cart right now. So I did that <laughs> for 90 days. So I was able to really wow. track my cycle. I was using the Flow app. Um, and every day I'd be like negative ovulation, negative ovulation. Oh, there's a slight peak, peak, peak ovulating. And then it would even decrease, right? So I was able to pretty much pinpoint my ovulation windows, like fairly spot on. And then, yeah concentrated the business to that time (laughs) nice and did you I mean if you don't mind my asking did you do any like legs up in the air or you were just like we're done let me sit here for a little bit like (laughs) marinate um marinate yeah uh I didn't I I definitely um I didn't put my legs up in the air but I did elevate my hips yeah that's like that's like a common thing so I definitely did that um it did like, I mean, this is a oh, yeah. podcast about birth and stuff, so I don't want to get too explicit, but um, they say when you're conceiving, having an orgasm is a really good way to kind of open everything up and help the semen make its way in. Um, but that kind of messes with the flow of how I normally do things. So it was a lot of actually kind of adjusting how I had sex in a way uh-huh. because I, I wanted to like it sounds weird, but I don't generally come first. I come last. And it's it's just part of this thing because I have multiple orgasms. So I like to Good be last. You. I have plenty of time to do what I need to do. You know what yeah. I mean? So this was a very, this was a shift because it was like, okay, now I have to 
wait, I have to go first. And then, and then, then I got to be ramped up for the guy. Yeah. I eat my husband and then I got to, then I can't do anything afterwards because you know, you're going to pull the semen out if you do stuff afterwards. So you right. have to sit there and be like, I'm done. But like, <laughs> it was <Right>. weird. <laughs> you were tracking your ovulation cycle and you pretty mm-hmm. much, you said you were testing yourself as soon as you thought you got pregnant, right? Yeah. So um, basically the moment that my period didn't come. That's right. Like, oh gosh, this isn't normal now. Not for me because the last three months has been pretty normal or whatever it was. So I thought, okay. And I had pregnancy tests already because I had pre-purchased them. So I of had course. them in the house. Yes. So I was like, you had a right. hundred pack of pieces. You had to have <laughs> exactly. at least one pregnancy test in the house. <laughs> exactly right. So I was kind of like, hmm, it seems unusual for me. I must go test. Yeah. <laughs> so I tested like right away and uh, I found out it, it came up pretty solid positive lines like right away yeah probably like the first day of my miss period it was like positive positive lines wow yeah it was pretty insane because it was um after thanksgiving and i remember on thanksgiving not feeling particularly well like i just didn't feel that great on thanksgiving day and i kind of summed it up i got really emotional that day and i definitely told matthew we were like laying in bed and i was really sad and i was like oh man, why can't I just get pregnant already? Mm-hmm. You know, it's like, it seems like we've been trying and it's not happening and I'm trying to stay positive. And I know we've only been trying for, let's say six months now. Yeah, but before, I don't include six, yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah. It's like a year long journey. <laughs> so like, I guess I've only really been trying six months. I shouldn't complain. You know, a lot of people wait a lot longer. And so I can't really complain. And he was kind of like, no, it's fine. You can complain if you want. Like, you feel bad. It's how you feel. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. So I was just like really emotional. And then I think like the next week was when I tested. And so I was like, oh, I guess I didn't have to. (laughs) You were emotional for a reason. It's so funny that you're just like, oh, I feel terrible. Everything's not working. And your body's like, no, girl, it's working. Just wait. (laughs) Exactly. Okay. So then you were pregnant. But actually, I wanted to ask you about PCOS because I don't know if you know I think I've told you before um my older sister has has PCOS right it's like not something that goes away is it I don't know I don't know very much about it uh, not usually, no. <laughs> so she had PCOS or has PCOS and you know she had kids a few times so what is it mm-hmm. that um like what is the concern I guess there is because your ovaries aren't you know, usually work in the same way as everyone else's or I'm so stupid when it comes to this. Yeah, it, it really varies from person to person. Um, infertility or the, the inability to get pregnant is a big thing for a lot of women who have PCOS. And in part, it's because your cycle is thrown off. So a lot of women who have PCOS have extremely irregular cycles. Mm-hmm. So either they have a period, but they don't ovulate or they don't have a period at all or their period is very sporadic. So like they cannot track exactly when they're ovulating because they may only get four periods a year or something like that. So it can make it really difficult to pinpoint. Obviously you need ovulation in order to get pregnant. So if you're not ovulating or you can't track when that's happening, it can be difficult to get pregnant. It seems strange because it seems like as easy as it is to get pregnant out there, it can actually be really challenging. Timing needs to be right is really what it is. The timing can be really difficult for people. So 
that's mainly it. I think mostly the cycles can be super irregular. For me, I did have irregular cycles. So I needed the Provera to trigger it repeatedly before it would kind of kickstart. Mm-hmm. So I had the issue of irregular cycles. And um, I also produce, a, my body produces a much higher level of testosterone. So hormonally, I'm a little more out of whack than, than let's say the average right. woman as far as my hormones are concerned. So some women the hormone levels are very off and different as well which can affect getting pregnant because pregnancy is all about hormones and what your body is doing at the right time and stuff with your pregnancy um how long did you wait or how i guess did you call and schedule your appointment right away and how long did you wait to tell anybody that you were pregnant um well i would say kind of like the day I found out, I definitely text a few people that I was kind of, I, I, there's no way, I, I mean, I'm a blabbermouth, so there was absolutely no way I was keeping it completely right. secret from like everybody. Yeah. Um, but I did, I did text some people and kind of say like, I took a test, it came out positive. Oh crap. You know, that kind of thing. <laughs> what I do now, um, I need to call the doctor, I guess, and go in, but it just seems false positives are pretty rare. Yeah. I mean, you're more likely to get a false negative than you are a false positive. So if you're peeing on it and it's like positive, positive, and I did three different tests and they all said positive, yeah. I was like, well, it's probably pretty positive like at this point. <laughs> so um, I called the doctor, kind of set up an appointment to come in like in a few weeks. They were kind of like, yeah, I'll come in in a few weeks. And so I was like, all right, um, what do I do now with my life? So at that point, I just was like, okay, I know what I'll do. I will, um, I'll plan like a surprise for Matthew. So like tell him I'm Aww. pregnant. It'll be really cute. I did not. Um, yeah. yeah. <laughs> because you couldn't wait, right? That same. I'm a I was like, too much. Like my, I was too yeah. anxious. I was like, I cannot hold the secret inside yeah. of me. So um, basically we were just like having breakfast. Uh, we were having breakfast and I had saved the pregnancy test. And I had it in a baggie. I got something actually. Yo, I did. What? No. I got it here. I took it. Um, I took that one this morning, but I took those. There's three in there because it. I was like, I can't. I gotta be sure. This line is confused. <laughs> You're pregnant? Oh my <laughs> god, come here. I love you. I love you too. <laughs> oh goodness. I was um I was gonna try and go to the doctor first before telling you, but then I couldn't find the Kaiser card and I needed you to call and get the number. <laughs> oh my god. Wow. I was in shock when you pulled it out. I was like, what is that? Are you still filming me? (laughs) (laughs) That's so cute. But I'm cracking up because have you ever watched that show, The Whitest Kids You Know? No. Oh my God. It was a, it was on Fuse and it was one of my favorite shows. And there's a skit where she does that, right? So she gives him a little bag or whatever. And she's like, honey, look. And then he looks at it and he's like, you peed on my iPod Nano. 
she's like oh gosh and that's like literally the only thing i think about now when i see things like that it's like you peed on my ipod nano and i mean that just dates when that skit was from the ipod nano was a thing yeah (laughs) yeah but okay so how was your pregnancy right away were you feeling sick i know you said you were feeling unwell the week before right yeah so the week before i wasn't feeling particularly great but it was just kind of like my stomach just hurt i guess i was like ah, oh, my stomach kind of hurts and i i did think oh it's because my period uh-huh. didn't start it, that's why and you know some of us ladies get a little rumbly in the tumbly when we're on uh, periods <laughs> coming that's i'm one of those yeah I think- so i was like oh my stomach hurts you know whatever and then then it went away and I'll say I found I was pregnant. Um, my pregnancy was pretty smooth. I, I suffered from very little Good. sickness at all. I didn't, I don't think I, I didn't puke nice. once when I was pregnant. I never got nauseous really. Um, very rare. I think like right away I, I could taste metal in things. Mm. Like that was probably the weirdest thing was like if it came out of a can, I could, it tasted metal. Yeah. And I was like, I'm not interested in that. Um, and I didn't, I had some acid reflux at night, but it was much further on in the pregnancy. Mm-hmm. But supposedly in the first trimester is when you feel a lot of the morning sickness and all that. But I didn't suffer from it like that. So I guess I'm pretty Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. I'm glad yeah. to hear that. Especially because leading up to even trying to get pregnant was such a roller coaster for you. So it's like, just give me one thing. Come on. Like, you know, yeah, so for the pregnancy to be smooth, at least that was something, right? <laughs> Yeah, it was it was nice. That was it was nice that I physically felt pretty good. And I think in part that kind of made me I was surprised by it because I was expecting so much to feel sick or tired or whatever. A lot of people were like, you're going to feel tired, you're going to feel sick, you're going to feel achy, you're going to your breasts are going to feel tender, you know, all these Mm -hmm. things. I didn't have any of that. So in part, I was like, am I even pregnant? Was that test real? (laughs) Like, why? I feel nothing. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, I was like, I feel nothing. So like, oh, I started getting worried because I didn't feel yeah. anything. So like, oh crap, like maybe the tests were, maybe all the tests were wrong. I don't know. Maybe something isn't right because I didn't feel yeah. anything. So it made me start to feel really anxious just in general. And then I told my sister, probably uh, my older sister, because she lived with us mm-hmm. at the time. So I told Joanna. She was the first person in my family that I told, and I think I was already, I had, I was already like six or seven weeks. Da, 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 da. Oh, did you have any cravings? Cravings, yes. I actually did have some cravings. I would say this sounds like maybe other women have to ever relate, but I craved a lot of Asian really? food. Really? Like, I anything. I was like, oh, I want that, I want that, I want that, if it was Asian. So luckily, food. none of those and- things were like on your restricted list then, right? No, that really. wasn't like deli meat like for me I mean I couldn't eat because I was sick all the time anyway but for me like deli meat was the hardest because I'll just go for a good sandwich any day and like literally that was one of the first things I asked for after <laughs> I had the baby and I still had like a little bit of that food aversion so it was like ugh, like I can't even enjoy this sandwich right now but that's good that your cravings were something you could eat you know like and enjoy yeah. and not you know be yelled at by your doctor hopefully for yeah I did stay away from eating hot Cheetos for about seven months of my pregnancy and I had already not been eating them because I was on low carb but before right. then so I and I don't you know me anybody out there listening hot Cheetos are like my favorite food in right. the entire planet I mean 
I went to a dessert island tomorrow and they were like, what food? They wouldn't even finish the sandwich. Like, hot Cheetos. And then let's supply hot Cheetos and I'm good. <laughs> like for the rest of my life. Um, so I was, I craved that probably, but it had probably more to do with just that I hadn't eaten. Uh, in so long. Yeah. And I, and I was kind of like, I shouldn't eat hot Cheetos. They're not good for you. You know, everybody says they're the worst chip for you out there. Like you're going to eat chips, like hot Cheetos are the worst thing you could possibly oh, no. eat. And so I avoided it till I was about seven and a half months pregnant. And then you were like, and I've come like, this you know far. What? I deserve it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I was like, you know what? I really want hot Cheetos all the time and fried chicken. Like chicken that was crispy, crispy chicken, I should say, more than fried, just crispy. But I mean, how do you get crispy chicken? You know, it's probably going to be Well, fried. I guess air frying wasn't as big as it is now, huh? Shake and bake. So you could air fry it. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> oh, well, that's good. I'm glad you had some good food cravings and I'm sure they were all satisfied. Oh, yeah. How are you mentally? I mean, like your mental health when you were pregnant, were you good? Were you... I know you had mentioned after the delivery you had um, some struggles, yeah. but how about when you were pregnant? I'd say when I was pregnant, I dealt a lot with pregnancy anxiety. Mm-hmm. I had a, I was very anxious about pretty much everything. I had a constant fear that I was going to have a miscarriage and I don't know where that came from or why I thought that, but mm-hmm. it was definitely something that I'm sure a lot, I mean, I think all women are fearful of that at some point or another. Like they definitely think it, you right. know, what would happen if that were to happen. And it's just something that because I wasn't feeling any symptoms, I, I don't know why it still plagued me. I just, because it didn't feel real. My body didn't really change very much throughout my pregnancy. Um, even I didn't even show quote unquote show. I wasn't even showing. So I was probably 38 weeks and I delivered at 39 weeks. So I had a very small stint of time where I even looked pregnant yeah. to anybody. So I think for a lot of it, I just felt like it didn't feel real. didn't feel like I was pregnant. Therefore, in my head, I was thinking, well, maybe I'm not, or maybe I'm going to lose it because I'm not like showing any of those typical symptoms and things. So I had a lot of anxiety around just that. And it, it translated into me not being able to show a lot of excitement around being pregnant. So I was very matter of fact about pretty much everything. I referred to my, when I was pregnant, I referred to, um, the baby as a, as a fetus until I was like 28 weeks, probably. Anytime somebody would be like, Oh, do you feel the baby kicking? I would be like, it's a fetus. No, I don't feel anything. <laughs> like I just, I mean, it, it was just part of my, you were know, detaching. Just, exactly. I, that's what I would describe. Like, happened, I, I, I yeah. Really separated myself emotionally in the case that something bad happened, because I felt like if I, if I'm emotionally detached, then I'm less likely to feel emotionally overcome if something bad were to happen. Therefore, I should do that. I should become emotionally detached from the situation as much as possible. Maybe not the healthiest coping mechanism, but it certainly worked for me. I have a tendency <laughs> to be a little more detached emotionally from things. Um, so yeah, up until about 27 weeks, which is the point of viability outside of the womb, even a small percentage, is when I was like, oh, yeah, I did. I was so detached. And then by the time I hit 27, 28 weeks is when I finally lightened up enough to be like, okay, now we can think about buying things for the nursery or setting up a gift registry or letting the world know I'm pregnant, you know, those kinds of things. It's just, I didn't want anybody to really know. I didn't want people to talk to me about it up until then. Um, at one point I even remember I was in the car going to Starbucks, um, with Joanna 
and it really upset me. We were talking and I got really upset because she mentioned something about the baby and I kind of brushed it off very coldly. It was just kind of like, it was something about kicking and she was like, oh, you're not feeling the baby kick yet? I was probably like 22 weeks at this time Mm -hmm. and I hadn't yet. So I was just kind of like, um, no, I don't feel anything. I've already told everybody I feel nothing. Stop asking me. Like, I just got so, I just felt uncomfortable when people would ask me questions about the pregnancy. And she went, oh, gosh, okay, I'm sorry, you know. And then she just said, you're just, you just seem like, I don't know, you're, like, not even excited about being pregnant. Like, you don't seem like a normal pregnant person because you're not happy. Mm. And it's like, what is a normal pregnant person? Exactly. Like, I was like, what is normal? I was like, there's no normal to being pregnant. There's no normal way to be pregnant everybody feels differently about it. And I'm like, this is how I feel about it. Um, um, and she apologized, of course. And she was like, I apologize. I shouldn't have said that, you know, I understand. And, but it definitely upset me. It made me feel like I was abnormal again in that situation. But again, I was maybe the way I reacted to her also showed I was probably more emotionally attached than I probably thought I was. Like I didn't just brush it off. It made me really upset that she would say that because I don't know. It's fine if I want to feel like I don't, I'm not acting like a normal pregnant person. It's different if somebody else wants to tell me that I'm not. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I was like, you don't know. I was like, first of all, you're not pregnant. I was like, second of right. all, like, you're not no pregnant and pregnant. you've never been pregnant. You yeah. can't tell me anything. Like, like whole pregnancy. There's nothing yeah. about being pregnant. Everything about it is weird. I was like, and how you respond emotionally to it is different. Everybody is different. Yes. So don't tell me I'm normal or I'm not normal. If I don't want to jump for joy like every other woman who's pregnant, that's on me. And that's my that's my prerogative. Like, don't tell me. Anything yes. Yep. So anyways, I was a real bitch about it. But <laughs> <laughs> but again, I was pregnant. So, yeah. Know, and I was just like, don't tell me what's up. I know what's up. And uh, right. when uh, when did you start feeling the baby kick? And did that change the way you you were feeling? I think it did change the way I felt I think in part because it felt a lot more real up until that point you you know how it is you're like there's a baby in there like you don't know you feel nothing you really don't you feel hungry or tired but you don't feel anything and you're like you look at the apps and they tell you your baby's now the size of a grapefruit and you're like bitch wear because like you don't (laughs) yeah you don't see it you don't feel it You, you don't it's it's a surreal experience because you keep thinking to yourself, there's a being inside of me. Things are happening. My body is doing things, you know, and, but you don't feel it. You can't see it. You go about your day and you're cautious, but not too cautious because you don't really know what's going on in there all the time. And um, so when you feel those first kicks or when you realize it's kicks, you, I don't know if you experienced that. A lot of people are like, you probably felt it earlier than you knew you were feeling it just because you didn't know what you were feeling. And, that's probably true but when you do realize the kicks it is super surreal because there's all of a sudden in your brain just going oh I'm being reminded now right constantly that something is going on and uh, I definitely felt happy once that happened I felt more attached to the fetus Mm -hmm. I felt more willing to go out and be like yes I'm pregnant everybody look at me Nobody was looking at me, but I was like, everybody looking at me. Right, treat me nicely. I'm pregnant. Mm-hmm. I felt like after that, I was able to be like, oh, I'm pregnant if I went to a restaurant. Remember going to restaurants? That happened before 2020. Right. But um, 
time we'd go to a restaurant and they'd be like, hey, do you want any people to order mimosas at brunch? And I'd be like, no mimosas for me, please. I'm pregnant. <laughs> you know, <it's> like, <laughs> I felt okay doing that. Nice. So I'm so glad that that, you know, did eventually come for you, that you, you know, had that feeling of kind of euphoria when you know that your baby's in there, right? And they're constantly reminding you and you're kind of just like, all right, this is happening. Like, I guess I, I got to, what is it? Come to terms with it. I got to, you know, accept that nothing bad hopefully will happen. But then you were scheduled for an induction. What was the reason for that? Because of your hypertension? Yes. So the main reason for the induction was because of my hypertension. So they were, they say that after 38 weeks or 38 or 39 weeks, um, the likelihood of preeclampsia spikes, like it jumps up significantly, especially for people who already have hypertension. Mm -hmm. Um, So me as somebody who's on the lower end of hypertension, I don't have a severe case by any means. It's more preventative. The medications I take are to keep me from falling into the category of hypertension. Mm -hmm. Um, but they were worried about it. Uh, I used to, <clears throat> at the end of my pregnancy, I went in for the non-stress testing twice a week for the last five weeks of my pregnancy. I went in, um, and I don't know if you ever had to do any of those, but basically they just hook you to some machines and it's like an ultrasound mm-hmm. and they, they, they record it for 20 minutes and they're, they're checking the baby's heart rate, heart rate and their response to like different stressors, I guess. Yeah. And so have to do it for like 20 minute sessions so I would go in for that and then they would monitor my blood pressure obviously during all this time and then yeah they kind of went on schedule my gynecologist was a bit like you don't have to do an induction if you don't want to you can wait Mm -hmm. for your water to break but I would recommend an induction but it's up to you um of course we wouldn't want to have to check your blood pressure like every day recommending you get a blood pressure machine for your house so that you can know what it is and if you see any spikes obviously come in Um, But I got to be honest, I was pretty happy to have a scheduled induction because uh, I'm, you know me, I'm a planner. Yeah. I don't like things sprung on me suddenly. I don't like surprises. You know, I don't comfortably go on vacation. I have to plan everything out. I don't like. Yeah. (laughs) You make a spreadsheet like me. (laughs) Exactly. So the idea of having a date being like, you're going to get on this date and then they're going to do it. And I was like, yeah, that sounds like a plan. Yeah. <laughs> Let me put it in my planner, put some stickers on there. Exactly. That was me. So I was like, okay, if it happens before, then great. If not, great as well, because it'll be scheduled and I will be happy about it. Um, so that's why I went in for uh, the induction. Okay. And how did that go then? Walk me through, you know, being in the hospital and being in labor. Yeah, interesting. Uh, they tell you when you have an induction, they're like, call the hospital on the morning of your induction, and then we'll tell you a time to come in. Uh-huh. That's how they do it. If we have space, because what if all the pregnancy beds are taken and stuff, then they're not going to let you come in, right? So I called and I was like, okay, um, calling, I have a scheduled induction, and they said, come in at 12. I said, okay, cool. So I go in, I'm sitting in there in the room, I'm here for my induction. They put me in like a little side room. And um, like waiting there for like an hour and then nothing. And then they're so oh, our beds are pretty full up. Um, maybe you can come back tomorrow. Oh. It's kind of like they, they really just see what I guess they, they want to wait and see what the day is like. Um, but then I was like, well, I'm supposed to be scheduled for an induction because of my hypertension. And I kind of like made it a point to be like, if I'm not going to be here, I do need to schedule an NST test because I'm supposed to have it every three days at this point. And it's already my third day. 
right? So um, they're like, oh, wait, you have NSTs? And I said, yeah. And they're like, okay, wait one minute. And I call a doctor and they decide, yeah, they're going to put me into having an induction today because they didn't want to set schedule for an NST, I guess. And they were like, <laughs> have hypertension, I just come through and we'll do it, right? Yeah. Um, anyway, so that's, that's a kerfuddle of having an induction when you show up at the hospital, at least where I went. Yeah. Um, so anyways, I go into the hospital room and they start me on some medications to get the induction going. Um, I'll skip over a lot of this, but if anybody's ever had induction out there, you know, they start giving you all kinds of different medications to help speed the process along, right. get you dilating and all those things. Um, my actual labor lasted 48 hours, somewhere wow. around there. Um, so, I mean, I was in the hospital a good 24 hours before I had reached any real level of dilation that would have gotten me anywhere. So... <laughs> That's what's crazy. It takes a while. Some, yeah. Some people, it takes a long time. If you're like me, it took forever. Um, I did, obviously, all the medications. I also did a Foley balloon. I don't know if you've ever heard of that. But yeah. I had one of those put in me to take mm-hmm. me to five centimeters, which it did, uh, which was really insane, actually. I thought that was pretty interesting. And the, <laughs> the gynecologist who was there on duty at the time, she... Um, the OB, she was really funny, and she actually ended up being there for my delivery as well <clears throat> the next day. But she kind of came in and said, "Hi, I'm here to check on you uh, with the Foley balloon. How's it feeling?" And I said, yeah, "It's fine, <laughs> you know, as fine as anything up your hall can be." Yeah. So then she's like, "Have any of the nurses come in and given it a tug?" What? Uh, I said, "No, <laughs> or, nope. I remember that, but nope." Uh, and she said, "Okay, cool. I'll lay back." And I was like, oh, okay. And she's like, we're just going to give it a little tug, see if you're at five centimeters. And I was like, oh, okay. So I'm like laying back, you know, and says, like, you get in there. It's like, everybody wants to see your hoo-ha when you're like, right. doesn't matter who it is. Fucking new best nurse. You're like, they're like, spread them wide. You're like, here I go, you know? <laughs> so uh, back to the gynecologist looking at my hoo-ha. She like lays me back. She's like, spread your legs. I'm like, okay. She goes in there, she's going to give a little, and she just pulled the string and a bloop came out like that, like, like that feeling, that's uh-huh. what it felt like, holds up this Foley balloon covered in my blood and mucus and just goes, congrats, you're at five centimeters and just chucks it in the trash. What? Yeah. And she was like, you're at five centimeters. I was like, great. It was so weird. It was such a weird thing to do, but also she was hilarious. In the end, she ended up being really funny and the main gun, the main OB who was yeah. in there when I actually delivered. Um, I, I delivered at OHSU, which is a university hospital. So they have a lot of residents who are there, but she was an actual OB, like the in-house who's watching over the residents. So um, I'll get to in the delivery section, but yeah, she was an actual OB who was at the hospital, not a resident at the time. And so she was like an overseeing, she was one of the overseeing ones. I don't watch any of those medical ER shows. So I don't know what they call that, but she was like an actual OB at that hospital. Uh-huh not a resident. So she was funny. And um, I was at five centimeters. So I had gotten to five centimeters with no pain medications at all. And I had been in labor more than 24 hours of them giving me medication to c- cause contractions and things like that. Uh-huh. So I was at five centimeters was when they started talking about, okay, you're at five centimeters. Now we can think about pumping up the drugs. Um, and then think about epidurals and breaking your water to help speed up the contractions even further. So after that, um, I waited a few more hours. They gave me some more 
stuff to help with the contractions. I went another couple hours. I was only using, um, I was not using any pain medications at the time. I was using um, the nitrate gas. Mm-hmm. I don't know if your hospital offered that, but basically it's, if you ever watch Call the Midwife, it's what they use in Call the Midwife. Like they've been using it since the 60s. It's common in Britain to use nitrous gas and uh-huh. not use any fentanyl or any kind of drugs like that. So I wasn't using any of that. I was just using the nitrous gas because I thought, mm, I guess it seemed better to me than taking like actual pain medications mm-hmm. to do a little bit of like laughing gas, basically, to make you relax. Um, so that's what I was using. And that's when they were like, okay, well, we're going to think my contractions started getting heavier at this point and more painful, significantly more painful. So they said, okay, well, now we're going to think about getting an epidural in and breaking your water. And they like to do the epidural at night because they figure if they do it at night and then you go into heavy contractions, you won't feel anything and you can sleep. And then you can give birth the following day, like in the morning. That's kind of how it was explained to me. So I thought, okay, that's cool. I, I wanted an epidural. <laughs> I wasn't, I was like, I don't want the fentanyl, but I definitely want an epidural. <laughs> so um, give me that sucker. So I was like, yep, yeah, that makes sense. Let's do it. So <laughs> went in, um, getting an epidural is weird, but you know, you do it. Um, the weird thing is for me is that I've never had an epidural before. So I didn't know what it was supposed to feel like or what it should mm-hmm. be like. So um, I'm going to preface by saying that, but I did end up with a failed epidural, the first one. And in part, it was because I wasn't sure exactly what I should be feeling, I guess, when they did it. So I had my uh, epidural put in. Um, it didn't kick in right away. I was able to get back on the bed by myself. I stood up, got myself situated back in the bed. The um, anesthesiologist said it can take up to 30 minutes for like a, the full mm-hmm. effect. So you may still feel some and then it'll fade. And so I thought, okay, it's fine. Um, that turned out to be true. Like basically after about 30, 45 minutes, um, I was fairly numb pretty much from like the waist Mm -hmm. down and they came in and broke my waters. So they came in and they said, cool, you're not feeling anything. It's a little test. I didn't feel anything. So they said, we're going to go ahead and break your water. You're going to feel warmth. (laughs) We're going to put in, um, we're also going to put in a, um, catheter, and all that and then from there you'll we're gonna if you like we'll give you some sleeping medications help you fall asleep you'll sleep and then you'll have a baby in the morning you'll get to have baby in the morning so I was like it all sounds Mm -hmm. great so I was like let's do it so they broke my water they gave me some sleeping medications to help me sleep because I was like so anxious I could not sleep and I had only slept like four hours in the last like 30 something hours so they broke my water Everything was going swimmingly. I was sleeping and then I lurched awake in excruciating pain, probably about three hours or two and a half hours after they broke my water. Um, I say lurch because I have a foggy memory around all of this. And in part, it was because I had been given sleeping medication. So I was very drowsy. Yeah. Um, but also they say pregnancy, you have like pregnancy or a labor amnesia where you like cut out certain things that you don't really want to remember that well. But basically, um, I lurched out of bed and I was moaning in agonizing pain because I was feeling everything now. I was having some really, really intense contractions. Um, and I was, I couldn't understand what was happening. And I was very like, just moaning in pain. I startled Matthew. He woke up, he was in the room with me 
Um, and from his description of what happened for the next four hours was that I would lurch up, like sit up in bed, cry out in pain, and like just moan in pain while a contraction was happening. And then when it stopped, I would just pass back out on the bed. And that I did this like continuously for like a few hours oh of God. just like sitting up, freaking out about being in pain and then falling back to sleep. And he was like, it, it was pretty intense and terrifying to watch. He's like, because it was like, it was like waking the dead. Like you were like asleep. And the next second you were sitting upright, screaming in pain, crying, hysterical. And it would pass and I would look at the machine and I could see the contraction passing on the machine. And I'd look at you and the moment it passed, you would just collapse back in the bed and fall asleep. Oh my God. And it was very scary. And he said, um, so I have to take his word for what happened during that time span, really, which was he called in the nurses and the doctors. They witnessed me doing this. They realized that the epidural had not worked or it was failing because they kept doing this ice cube test on me. I definitely remember that. They, mm-hmm. would, ice and they would touch me with ice cubes and say, can you feel this? Can you feel that? And I was saying, yes, I can feel that. I can feel that, you know, and then I'd be like screaming in agonizing pain. So um, the anesthesiologist and the doctors thought that the medication they had given me in the epidural that I was resistant to it that maybe I was like some people are naturally resistant to the medications so they thought maybe it was what they gave me like it wasn't working because my body was resistant to it or for whatever reason Mm -hmm. Um, so first but before doing that they obviously just up the dose because the epidural is like in you it's like a tube in your spine so they were like let's just give her more right? If it's not working, she needs more. So they gave me more first, waited. Then they, of course, they're like, it's, it may take half hour to kick in. So we have to wait half an hour <sighs> and then from there make a decision. So I'm sitting here waiting half hour again, excruciating contraction. So my water had broken. I was well past five centimeters, but probably more like six or seven centimeters at this time. I was in so much pain. It was unbearable. And then after a few hours of that, they came to the conclusion that um, they were going to give me a new epidural, but they were going to use different medications in it as well, but they needed to give me a new one. Now getting an epidural, you're supposed to sit very still in order to do this. Cause they're sticking a needle in your back, right? Mm-hmm. Well, if you're having excruciating contractions that are literally lurching you out of bed, like your muscles are spasming to the point if you can't even control them, like getting to sit still for many minutes is very challenging. Yeah. So it was really tough. Thank goodness for the nurse I had that day. She was so amazing. The nurse who was there that night and with me in the morning for the delivery was like, she was such an amazing nurse, but she was like, you know, you can do this. It's fine. You know, we, we I'll be here with you and all this stuff. So they like helped me sit up, get another epidural. They actually did have to, I don't know, the second one went in really easy, but the first one, and this probably should have been a clue, is they actually actually stick the needle in me like four or five times because they could not get it into the center of my spine correctly. Ugh. So, like, I, I poked a lot. And then the second one, um, I did accept, probably because I was delirious at this point, they gave me a small dose of fentanyl. Ah. They, like, asked Matthew, like, is it okay? Are, do you think she'll be okay? Do you, you make the decision? Because she's not in it enough to make the decision. But we don't think she's going to be able to sit still enough to get this epidural unless she takes some sort of pain medication at this point. So what do you think? And he kind of sat me down and like asked me, looked me in the eye and asked me. And at that point I was like, I don't care. Give me whatever it takes to make this pain go away. Um, So they gave me a little bit of fentanyl 
And boy, did that stuff make you loopy. Because, like, I remember this part because they gave me that in my IV. And then a few minutes later, they sat me up to do the epidural. And I sat as still as a board. And I looked at my nurse and Matthew. He was sitting right in front of me. And he said that I asked everybody in the room how they were doing. <laughs> He's like, all of a sudden, you were talking to the nurse. She was like, how are you doing, Cindy? Are you feeling okay? And you were like, I feel great. How are you feeling? How are you doing? And like, and she was like, I'm good. And then she's like, and then you start talking to the anesthesiologist. There was two of them. They were like two men. I forget their names. But let's say their names are Ricardo and Jeff. But I was just like, Ricardo, is that you back there? How are you doing? <laughs> You know, like, and he was like, I'm doing great, Cindy. Everything's that's going awesome. great. And I was like, that's great, Ricardo. And Jeff, are you still here, Jeff? How are you doing, Jeff? Like, I was so out of it at this point. Like, I was high. I was not at all high from that event. Now. Right. And I was like, oh, shoot. So they gave me, and now this second epidural, now I tell you what, the next time I have a kid, I will know what an epidural should feel like because the moment that thing hit my back, I went numb. Yeah. Like, instant, like, waist down numb I felt nothing my legs gave out like I was sitting obviously but I felt absolutely nothing and then they were and then they were like they were like do your legs your legs should feel pretty warm they're gonna feel fuzzy and warm you feel that I was like oh yeah I feel that (laughs) and then they were like they're gonna lay you back and I'm like "Uh uh-huh and then like they like laid me back again kind of high from fentanyl feeling warm and fuzzy from epidural networks I'm like laying back and I definitely remember um the nurse was like, okay. And she was like looking at the monitor and she could see a contraction coming. And she goes, so do you feel anything? How are you feeling? She like looks at me and goes, how are you feeling? And I said, I'm like, I feel great. And she was like, do you feel anything? And I was like, I feel absolutely nothing. I feel <laughs> nothing at all. And she was like, that is good. And, and she's like, you just had a contraction. I was like, what? And she was like, yeah, you just had a contraction. I was like, no way. And she was like, you certainly did. She's like, that means it's working. I was like, oh, yeah, it's working. It's working. And she said, now just lay back, get some sleep. I'll see you in the morning when you wake up. And I was like, all right. And I just passed the fuck out. I was out. I slept for like five hours. I don't sleep. That's good. But so you were still yeah. waiting to be fully dilated at that point you weren't yeah mm. I was about seven centimeters at that point okay labor is going to be soon like you're going to basically deliver is going to be very soon you're very ready so I said okay called the doula waiting for her to come the gynecologist came back in the one who pulled out the Foley balloon she came in she said I'm going to check how far along you are I'm pretty sure you're very close and I said great stuck your fingers in there I was like oh boy you were 10 centimeters and I was like, I am? Uh-huh. And she said, yeah, you're 10 centimeters. Baby's coming. And she's like, you want to do it now? Or <laughs> do you want to wait? Or no. I said, uh, no, yeah, we do. I'm waiting for my doula. So maybe a few minutes. And she's like, yeah, it waits that long, a few minutes. <laughs> and she's like, but um, we're going to send in someone else. So she didn't actually deliver the baby. One of the residents did. So they send, I guess they send in the residents for like the early parts of pushing. Because uh-huh. pushing, especially when you've had an epidural, can take a long time that's what they say Mm -hmm. didn't wasn't my case but apparently it can happen it can take a long time so they usually send in the residents so um 11 o'clock they got me in the delivery position laid me down got my legs propped up you know and all that good stuff here comes the resident he said hi introduce himself i'm gonna be 
helping with the delivery today, blah, blah, blah. I said, I don't care. Somebody get the baby out. I don't really care who you are. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> and then they were like, all right, we're going to do a practice push. And then after that, we'll go ahead and start pushing. And I said, that sounds great. And I, I did a disclaimer. I did do this. I said, uh, everybody in the room, I just want you all to know, I know you're all professionals. I know you all see it every day, but I am 100% about to take a shit on this table. So I really apologize ahead <laughs> of time. Um, I was like, y'all have been feeding me three meals a day since I've been here. I was like, so I've been eating a lot. Yeah. And, um, I poop, so I'm just saying, it's going to happen. And they all laughed and they said, yeah, we do see it every day. So don't worry about it. That's funny. So I said, okay, well, I'm just letting you know. I'm not going to be shy. Yeah. I'm pushing it all up, coming out. <laughs> so I'm letting you all know ahead of time. So um, I did do that. And they all laughed and appreciated it and said, we're fine. We see it all the time. So I was like, cool. And then I definitely did. Um, so I did my practice push. The way they pushing works is they tell you we're going to do a push. But it isn't just one push. You actually push three times in that sequence. So they kind of go push and then you do one, two, three, and you like hold the last one, and like do a big push. Then they say, okay, stop. And then you stop kind of thing. So they said, we're going to do a practice push. I want you to really push, you know, and I said, okay, I'm going to do it. So I push really hard and then they stopped the pushing. I said, all right. And then the doctor, they all these like walkie talkies. They wear these walkie talkies on them yeah. at the, on their neck and the, um, the doctor who's delivering the baby, the resident, he goes, um, he goes on the speaker. He goes, yeah, I'm going to need OB in room, blah, blah, blah. Baby's basically crowning. So I was like one push and the baby's head was already like popping out. Yeah. So they were like, well, hey, we're going to do another push. And I was like, okay. Took three pushes and she came out. Did your doula so arrive? Came. Yeah, my doula. Oh, okay, good, good, good. Yes. <laughs> my doula was there at this point. So it was very exciting and I it only took seven minutes of pushing and Amelia wow. came out. And that that included the practice pushing. So they started with practice, which turned into real pushing because like it happened so quickly. Yeah, uh, seven minutes started at eleven, eleven oh seven. She was born. She had been birthed into the world. They took the baby straight from you know, vaginal canal to chest. They pick the baby out. Here she is. Look at her. She's crying. Pop right on your chest. Yeah. So they pretty much put her right on me. So she was on me and um, everything was roses for about two minutes. Um, Matthew cut the umbilical cord. And then that's when things got a little funny in the delivery room for me. <sighs> so I had her in my arms um, laying there with the baby Matthew's there everybody's very excited and nurse is telling me you did such a good job everybody's you know chit-chatting I say great 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 I look over my doula and I say can you take the baby I can't feel my arms oh. like I think I'm gonna drop her and she was like yeah of course she like grabs the baby hands the baby to Matthew wraps the baby hands her to Matthew says here you go Matthew sit down <laughs> so he sat down and she and, and she's sorry you, you know she's kind of attending to me and so I said, I can't feel my arms. And then I go, I'm also seeing spots. And she's like, okay. And then they're all rushing to me. And then all of a sudden, an, I don't remember everything exactly, but a nurse like put a wet towel on my face. Like they put like a damp towel on my forehead, covered my eyes, had me lay back. Um, and then a lot of, I just heard, cause I couldn't see cause I had a towel over my face, but I heard like a lot of beeping and a lot of commotion happening, like in the room around me. And it basically, what happened was when I pushed Amelia out, I had a pretty severe tear 
Um, and it led to like a high amount of blood loss extremely quickly. Mm-hmm. So I had basically my blood pressure had like dropped down significantly because I was losing a lot of blood really quickly. You know, obviously you lose a lot of blood when you birth anyways, but like it was more blood than I probably should have. Mm-hmm. Um, lost and so I was bleeding out pretty quickly so the doctor the OB the cool one had come in and she actually is the one who stitched me up but she worked on closing everything up stitching me up um, and they got me back to situated you know but I was very drowsy and out of it for quite some time because I had lost a lot of blood so what ended up happening was I'll try to explain this maybe maybe listeners out there haven't heard of this but I had what's called um a vulvar, a vulvar variscosity, which is basically a lot of pregnant women have heard of this. You get hemorrhoids, right? Mm-hmm. A lot of pregnant women experience hemorrhoid issues, which is basically just a swollen vein mm-hmm. that becomes, you know, enlarged. Well, you can get those something similar on your vulva during pregnancy, which is called a vulvar variscosity, which is what I had. So I had a vulvar variscosity at the opening of my vagina, like right below the opening of my vagina, which I thought for a long time was a hemorrhoid, like when I first got pregnant and I had brought it up to my gynecologist and they had taken a look and they said, no, it's not a hemorrhoid because it's not on your butthole, literally. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like, it's not a hemorrhoid because it's on your vulva. So we call that vulva variscosity. It's similar to a hemorrhoid. It's basically a swollen vein or some women might say a varicose vein, what you would call a varicose vein on other parts of the body. Mm-hmm. If you get that during pregnancy, they call it a vulva variscosity. Anyways, that's what I had. Um, and leading up to the delivery, it had gotten extremely swollen. So my doctors did know about this. I had mentioned it to them multiple times because I was a little worried about it. Because when I say swollen, I mean like it had probably grown to about the size of a marble. Oh my god! If not slightly larger. So it was very swollen. Um, and they said there's really nothing they could do about it because first of all, where it was, but it's just like pressure. Baby's pushing down. That's what's causing the veins to swell. And it's pretty normal. Yes, my vulva variscosity was larger than a lot of them that they had seen, but there wasn't much they could do at that point because I was so far along in my pregnancy. Surgery obviously wasn't going to be an option Mm -hmm. because I was pregnant. So, you know, they had to just wait and see. So wait and see meant when I pushed the baby out, the tear at the opening of my vagina actually tore straight through that Mm. vein, just ripped it open. So, yeah, sorry to be graphic. No. It's what happened. Yeah. (laughs) And, um because of that because it ripped through the vein obviously a tear in a vein meant I had a lot of blood loss very quickly so that's basically what happened so at that point the doctor stitched up the vein closed off the vein and also stitched up any tears which I had a number so I'd not just have the variscosity tear but I had external and internal tearing so I had about three tears internally as well as some higher up on the vulva so I had the one at the bottom and then one at the top. My, my gynecologist actually drew me a graph later on. But oh my gosh. One at the top and then a few internal ones. So I had a lot of stitches that had to go on down there, a lot of things to sew up. And um, obviously the blood loss meant I was super lightheaded. I lost a few liters of blood in the span of like 10 minutes or something. So it was a lot. And um, I was super lightheaded. I was drowsy. Uh, I had been seeing spots and went numb on certain parts of my body. I actually had a I had an epidural, so I couldn't feel my legs already, but my arms went numb. And then when I finally, I came to, obviously, and I was fine, was alive. And they were just kind of like, you had some bleeding and it made you lightheaded and all this. I'm like, okay. Um, I was super 
pale. I'm not a pale person. I'm a brown person. So <laughs> I was very yellow in color. Like I had lost a lot of my color. Mm-hmm. Um, and I was super just sleepy. And I'd say the first 15 hours, I was so drowsy and out of it. Like Matthew definitely recounted to me that I didn't hold the baby at all, pretty much. Like I was just so weak and How not could interested. You? As well. Yeah. I was very like out of it like I just wasn't interested in holding the baby I had no desire to I was like oh I'm just like whatever you know sleepy I'm tired I'm in pain right and it sucks so um the next day they gave me I stayed in the hospital four days so the next day they gave me um a blood transfusion because I had lost a lot of blood so they said I needed more blood and they also gave me an iron drip because my iron levels were super low Mm -hmm. So they were like, okay, we're going to give you some of these things. And so I said, okay. So in the recovery at the hospital, it was a challenge. It just, you know, I don't know how your recovery was different than mine, obviously. I know you had, you had a C-section, right? Right. right. Things mm-hmm. like that. But um, it feels, it sucks, man. The recovery in the hospital is not, they don't let you rest. I swear. No, it's they're like, in there every couple of hours. Terrible. Like every hour and a half, they're like, "We gotta check your vitals." Yep. It's like you can't sleep. It's like not only you're not sleeping because you just had a baby and you're like in pain, but it's like then they're like every hour and a half, they're like waking you up mm-hmm. even if you are asleep. They're like, "Oh, we gotta check your vitals. We gotta check your vitals. Mm-hmm. Do you take this? Take this medication." You're like, "God, just let me fucking sleep. Like if <laughs> I can sleep, maybe I feel better." And like I don't know, I'm not a doctor. It was surreal. It was tiring. I was exhausted and emotionally kind of spent and drained like it felt like I almost died but also that because I kind of did and then but also like everybody wasn't making a big deal out of it if that makes sense yeah it felt like something serious had happened to me which it did yes because every indication of it was that was serious every time a doctor came in they checked my blood levels and they are like oh your palate levels are this or you need more of this or they were worried about my blood levels and how I was doing but it was almost also like nobody cared at the same time, if that makes sense to me. That's what Absolutely. Me. No, I totally get what you mean. <laughs> like, like, like something serious happened to me, folks. Yeah. But they're like, there's Everyone's, a yep. and you're like, <laughs> I know. <about> me? <laughs> <laughs> yes. Um, so, and then you feel bad because you're like, why am I being a selfish bitch? Like, why do I care? Well, you know, but it's like, well, I can't help but care. I'm a human. I right. I care about what happens to me self-preservation is also important to me um and it's such a weird feeling to be in such a weird place to be in and um it was a strange and yeah epidural wore off they made me get up obviously everybody has to get up and go do the do and go pee and do all those things and it was all terrible yeah (laughs) i can't even imagine so why didn't they Knowing that you had the, I can't even say it, a vulvariscosity? Oh, almost. I almost got it. Um, why didn't they just say, hey, the best thing will probably be to do a C-section? Was that not an option? I think, or I, I think it could have been an option. I think the reality was is they've never had a vulvariscosity be an issue. I think that's probably more what it was. Like, I had mentioned it to my gynecologist, like, six weeks before I ever went into labor. Mm-hmm. I was like, I've got this growth. It's only gotten bigger. Yeah. I'm worried about it, you know, and she checked it and she did say it is larger than I've seen. But at this point, they don't have any reason to think it's going to be a problem. Yeah. For all purposes, it was squishy. It's just that 
they couldn't have anticipated the tearing that would have led to that rupturing. You know what I mean? Yeah. So I get why they didn't like insist on a C-section. Yeah. Cause they were like, there's no reason for us to believe that it's going to be a major issue at this point. Yeah. So, so how um, was that healing? Yeah. Oh, that healing. Sucked. Yeah. I had so many stitches. I had like, I had so many stitches around and I was like all tore up. When I say I was all tore up, I really mean that. Like, yeah. I was all tore up there. And how long did it take for your stitches and everything to heal and for you to feel like you were kind of back to normal? Oof, back to normal probably took 10 weeks or so for like all the stitches to evaporate. So they're like the self, you know, evaporating kind of stitches, the ones that like fall out or fade, whatever. So it took about 10 weeks, but then I also had to have follow-up surgery on that varicosity mm-hmm. to have it, like, fully removed. So I had, like, discussions with um, my gynecologist, and she sent me to a specialist and talked about how, like, if I wanted to have kids in the future, this varicosity could be an issue again in the future. So what did I want to do? Do I want to have it removed or what? So I actually ended up having it removed, and the process is similar to having, like, a hemorrhoid removed. It's, like, a full surgery they knock you out they take it away and stuff and it kind of sucked because I had just gone through 10 weeks of healing and my stitches finally went away and then I had to go back in for a follow-up surgery and have stitches again yeah right around the same area so that wasn't great but I was still happy to do it to get rid of the varicosity and yeah it's now it's gone so that's good (laughs) but um it took a while so then from that process it was another four weeks before my stitches went away again Mm -hmm. so was probably like four months and how <laughs> was it while you were healing and trying to like bond with amelia um in the beginning it was a challenge uh not only because she's a new human so that's like i, I didn't have like instant bonding that some people have with their babies and again there's no normal way mm-hmm. to be a parent or normal way to be pregnant but i didn't have that instant bond it was like this is another human and I don't know her and she doesn't know me. And all she does is yell at me. (laughs) So demanding. (laughs) Yeah. So I was like, I don't really know her, Um, but she was, she was cute. And um, I I felt a really strong sense of responsibility. I would say early on, like Mm -hmm. more than anything, I was like, this child is now my responsibility. I birthed her. Therefore I must care for her. Yeah. That was kind of how I, I was like it's a job like this is a job now like to take care of this human um and it was my only job because I had stopped working at this point and made the decision to be the stay-at-home parent um which in the end was part of what probably contributed to some of my emotions or my how I was feeling after when I actually became a parent because it was a big shift it was very I put a lot of value in my career I put a lot of value in who who I was when I was working mm-hmm. and what I did and what my job was. And I had a lot of pride in that job and my career. And so to willingly step away from it or take a break or anything like that was a big step for me. And it was a big shift for me psychologically to say, okay, what you do for a living is now not part of who you are and you're a parent now. And that's a different part of who you are, but how does that factor into who you are? It's not all that you are, but it is a big part of it now. And psychologically for me, it was a big jump. (laughs) And um, I'd say early on, there was, that was a mixture of like pain. So there was resentment there 
there was a little bit of resentment around like why it's why do women have to be the ones who suffer all of this why does it have to be me mm-hmm. like isn't it enough that i had to deal with carrying her for nine months and restricting what i eat or what i do and all that like that's not enough then i have to go through the physical labor and the pain of that well that's not enough because then i have to deal with the recovery and all the pain that comes with that but that's also not enough because now I, you know i have to for me in my resentment part i was like now i have to give up my career I have to give up all of these things that I'm doing, like um, why and should I be or should I not do that? And it really all just comes down to your own personal choices. And so you've got nothing to do but think about them because you're home at home yeah. with the baby. <laughs> so, um, and Matthew, of course, was very supportive in all this. If, if he could, he would be the stay-at-home parent. And he'd probably be a better stay-at-home parent than me, <laughs> if I'm honest. Um, he's a lot more nurturing than I am in a lot of ways. So. Um, it just didn't make sense for us financially and where we are at the moment. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe in the future we can swap places, but for now it was me. And so early on, I just, it, it was a big adjustment for me. I'd say the first six months were really tough because I don't, I know maybe some people see me as that, but I'm not, I don't consider myself a super nurturing person necessarily. Like I always thought I'd be a parent, but I didn't always think I'd be a stay at home parent. I'm like, I'm not entirely sure it's, I'm really cut out for it or not. Like, I'm still deciding. Mm-hmm. She's a year, a year and some months now, and I'm still deciding if it's, you know, for me mm-hmm. or not. Um, but, yeah, early on, I just struggled with that a lot. I struggled with my own identity. I struggled with a new identity of being a parent and no longer having that clutch of my career and all those things to lean on as, like, something that was part of me. And, um, and they are a part of me still, obviously, and a person's career and what they choose to do with their life as far as profession is a big part of who they are so even if they plan on pregnancy you still start to feel that early on I kind of realized I wouldn't be able to breastfeed like it was just something that I had made plans to do it I had bought up you know I got the breast pump and all that for my insurance and I had read up on how to do it and I had been producing some of the early milk like before I even had the baby and so I was like definitely like yeah I can I can breastfeed but it wasn't something that I was like hell bent on like I wasn't like I must do it I was like I can do it you know I should be able to do it but I'm not like hung up on it but I will try um and I would say the recovery in the hospital made it a really big challenge for me like I could never really get Amelia to latch like in the hospital and then even like within the first day of her I mean, attempting to breastfeed with her, like, I got, like, a chap nipple already. Like, I got a tear, like, a crack on my nipple, mm. and it was really painful, and I was like, okay, like, I'm already in too much yeah. pain to be dealing with this bullshit. Like, I honestly was so over it, and, like, in the beginning, Matthew was worried because he said that, like, it seemed like I didn't want to feed her. Like, he would be like, do you want to feed the baby? Because the nurses kept being like, you have to, like, try to feed her, you try to feed her, and, like, I'd be like, no. You know, like, they'd be like, you want to try? I'd be like, no, no, mejor no. Like, I was like, no, like, I'm not really. Like, I didn't want to do it. And then they were like, well, you have to get it going. You know, so your breast milk come in. And I'm like, fine. So, like, I would try and try and try. And I could not get her to, like, latch correctly. Pretty much we got home from the hospital and I had, like, a breakdown. She was crying and screaming. And, like, on the way home, I had asked Joanna to pick up some formula for us from the Walgreens I was like can you just stop and pick up some formula and she was like yeah 
And so he like got home and like I tried again to get Amelia to latch and she was just screaming like at the top of her lungs and her little baby lungs. Mm-hmm. And she was screaming and I was just like, I couldn't handle it. I couldn't handle the screaming. I was just like, I'm just, I'm trying. I couldn't do it. And I was like crying. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm just, I, I, I'm just over it. Can we just like give her a formula bottle now? Cause I've tried and maybe it, I think deep down I was like maybe I didn't try hard enough but at the same time I was like I've tried in every other aspect and I just don't want to deal with it at this yes. point. like I'm just over it and and so I was like let's just give her a formula bottle and he was like okay yeah let's give her formula and it was like the moment we gave her that bottle and she started sucking down that formula it was like the clouds like parted and the sun came out you know yes. it's like she stopped she was happy she was fed and she immediately went to sleep yeah and then just putting that pressure on yourself if you were you know, like, oh, I have to breastfeed or, oh, I have to like keep trying or I have to, you know, produce more milk. And it's like, you're already going through so much. You don't need to add that on top of everything else. You're trying to heal. You just had a baby. No one's asking you how you're doing, <laughs> like, you know, and then you're still like over here trying to freaking feed a child like with your own body. And it's like, what? No. Yeah. It's a lot. Will I attempt to have another baby? Probably don't know exactly when sooner than later i don't want there to be too much of an age gap yeah. so you may see another little me yeah soon knows she's so cute so you just i mean you make cute babies so why not <laughs> <laughs> okay well cindy thank you so much for talking to me and being one of my very first guests on birth and stuff um i'm so glad we were able to still you know laugh and enjoy our conversation like we normally do so is there anything you want to um share i know you recently joined tiktok i know you were doing some (laughs) renovating and you always have like crazy projects like fun that i love to watch going on so do you want anyone to find you on social media or you're just like nah i'm cool (laughs) um I don't have anything posted on my TikTok. Maybe I should get on there and post. You have but, so much content yeah. you could put on there with your little, your cute little trailer van. What is it called? Camper van. No, scampy? Yeah, I scamp. Yeah. Yeah. If anybody wants to see um, retro trailer renovation, you can follow me on Instagram at little scamp dream, L I L S C A M P dream. Um, and you can see the renovation of our 1978 trailer. So there's that going on. Um, I also have an Animal Crossing. That's right. I saw <laughs> I that. I like Animal Crossing content. Um, my actual Instagram is private though. So okay. keep that one private. Just between friends. Um, thanks for having me. It's always fun and interesting to share your pregnancy story. Um, I know mine maybe seems a little scary for some people who haven't been pregnant before. And it's always easy to recount all the crappy stuff sometimes. But I do want to finish by saying, you know, I'm still very grateful for my own experience. I'm still really grateful to be a parent. Hi, I hope you enjoyed the episode. Thank you again so much for listening. I know it got longer than you're used to by now, but a few of our episodes are probably going to run a little over an hour because these are real conversations with real moms and people who have experiences to share. And if I just put that into a small 30 minute episode we wouldn't be getting enough (laughs) Um, and I don't want to keep you hanging and waiting for more on a regular basis so 
I hope you made it through and let me know if you'd like to share your story. Again, you can follow Birth and Stuff on Instagram at Birth and Stuff Pod. And you can email me at birthandstuff at gmail.com. Next week, I'm going to be talking to Lacey from Unbroken Mama. That's unbroken.mama, M-A-M-A, on Instagram. We are going to talk about a lot of similarities between our experiences, but also a lot of ways they differed. Um, Sneak peek, one way they were similar is we were pregnant at the same time in November. I mean, we delivered in November 2018. So we'll talk about that, and we'll talk about her experience with mental health and her birth experiences so stay tuned thanks